What about the apostles? Well, the apostles were speaking the words of Jesus. Jesus gave them those words. Jesus appointed them as apostles. Remember, they had to meet certain qualifications to even become apostles. So he is speaking through them. Once they're dead, once they're done writing, there's no more that needs to be said. One theologian says, For God to add more books to the canon would be like his adding something to the work of Christ, something that Scripture teaches cannot be done. Can you imagine you work your whole life to know the Bible and memorize it, and then another book gets added? And then 100, 200 years later, another one. I mean, that was the way it was in the Old Testament days in the early church. But now we have the complete canon. And we should be thankful. We have a hard enough time just studying this book and reading it once a year and learning what it teaches. I'm thankful that God hasn't been adding things over time. Now, he could, of course, if he wanted to, but he's chosen not to and made clear in the Bible that he's not going to. Any questions on the canon? You guys got it all down, memorized? All 66 books? They should, did they do that in Adventure Club? Memorize all 66 books? I know my kids used to do that when they were in a Awana program at a different church. But. Okay, now for the fun stuff. Y'all been waiting on this one, right? Controversies and councils. I've been talking about church councils. And uh, some of this might seem really in-depth, but you need to be generally familiar with the church councils. Remember, to the Roman Catholic Church, these councils are equal to Scripture. These are equal to what the Bible says. Now, to Protestants, they are not equal to Scripture, but they do tell us what the early church was thinking and they even help us to develop our doctrinal statement today. So when you go on our website and look at our, what our church teaches, the big doctrinal statement, even the, the small one that we ask members to agree to, that didn't come out of thin air. You know, uh, I wasn't sitting there with, with the elders and just thinking, what can we say about doctrine? The Master Seminary wasn't sitting there saying, let's make up a whole new doctrinal statement. The Reformers weren't just sitting there thinking, Let's start from scratch and reinvent the wheel. No, these councils produced often a statement on the issue at hand, which then helped the church from that point forward know what was the truth. And most of these deal with the deity of Christ or the deity of, of the Holy Spirit or just the Trinity in general. So let's talk about the big one. I've already mentioned some of this, so it'll be brief. The first council that's a church-wide council. All churches in the Roman Empire, the first big council was the Council of Nicaea. This is the one that's in, um, what's the Dan Brown book that I mentioned last week in the movie? Da Vinci Code. This is the one that people get really excited about in the liberal world. Because they say the Bible was assembled here. This is where the Bible was assembled. And it was by the emperor. He's the one who did it. And he's a bad guy, and government's bad, and all of this. So we shouldn't, the implication is we shouldn't even uh, think that the Bible is divine, because it was assembled by man. Well, here's what the council actually discussed. The deity of Christ. Is he God? Remember Arius? Remember Arianism? Arius was the guy that we've discussed who was going around saying that 
Jesus is not the same essence, the same substance as God the Father. He's created. He's better than us, but he's not quite God. He's very similar in substance, but he's not the same. And he came up with all these songs, and he went around the Roman Empire teaching, and people caught on to that. They thought, this is good. We like your music. Remember that, music. Music is a means to get across good or bad teaching. It's the same today. And we like your teaching, Arius. You're a friendly guy. This is, this is some nice children's songs that you have put together. And so now you have the Emperor Constantine, the first Roman emperor that's a Christian, and he takes over the whole empire, and he says, this is ridiculous. We've got churches fighting each other. Here, we have just come through a civil war in our government, and now we have churches at a theological civil war. We've got to get this settled. So he says, I want all the pastors of all the churches to come to Nicaea and deal with this issue. And it's called the Council of Nicaea. So they wanted to resolve the question of how Christ's deity can be preserved on the one hand, and the unity of the Godhead can be preserved on the other. So how do we hold the doctrine of the Trinity and the fact that Christ is truly God together? How do we hold that position? And there were three different ideas at this conference. And these are the Greek words for them. I put them here so you can see how close a couple of them are. Heterousios, homoousios, and homoousios. Now, you don't have to know Greek, and those aren't even in Greek letters, but you don't have to know Greek to see how close those last two are. You see, often false teaching can come down to just one little letter change. You just add an I in that last word, and it looks and sounds very similar to the second one. And in a sense, that helps the false teachers to say, it's not that much different. Why are you making a fuss about this? Why are you guys so upset? It's just a slight little change. Well, the result of the, the council was that a creed got put into place called the Nicene Creed. And a creed is just a short statement on a certain theological topic, in this case, the deity of Christ. And that's something that churches could then affirm. It's a little doctrinal statement, not a complete one. And it's something that churches began to read. Even today, they might read some of these creeds. It doesn't make the church bad because they recite a creed. It just means that they think it still should be read in their service today. And this creed affirmed the homoousios for the nature of Christ. One minor topic they discussed, and this is kind of funny, the date of Easter. That was a big deal. Churches were fighting over what day to celebrate the resurrection. And these churches celebrate this day, and these churches celebrate this day. And so Constantine and the, and the pastors here, the bishops, wanted to agree on that. And they did set an official way to track it. This is why it moves every year. And you never can tell exactly what Sunday. I mean, you can't tell by looking at the calendar. But it's not like Thanksgiving. You can't just say, well, it's the second Sunday in April. It moves around because it's based on Passover, the Jewish Passover. So... Those were the three um, major positions. I'll just briefly review them. Uh, Heterousius is that Christ was something completely different. He's nowhere close to the Father. He's just human or he's just spirit. Uh, homo, homo means same. 
Homo, same. Homo, usius, same substance, same nature. Okay, that's the biblical teaching. Christ is of the same essence as the Father in his deity. And then homoi, it means like or similar. Homoi means he's similar. So this was Arius' position, and Arius was the one who promoted homoi. Oh, he's, he's very similar, very close. Thankfully, as God intended, the council came out and found the truth of Scripture and applied it. But that did not solve the issue. So this is 325. Now we're skipping ahead to 381. So roughly how many years is that? Got some math majors in here? Get out your phone calculator. We were playing board games yesterday, board games, and, you know, to tally up the final score. Some of us had to get out our phone calculators. I won't say which of us had to do that. Many years, right? What does that come out to you? Um, 50, roughly years. So the Aryan controversy was still an issue. Even though they had a council, even though they settled it, it's still an issue. Arius died in 336. His false teaching stuck around a long time. They had to have another council on this problem. And because the Arian view or the semi-Arian view was so popular. You see, that's how it works. The, the false teaching is very popular, but then people say, well, maybe he wasn't completely off. We'll pick a position in between. It's kind of like, why can't we just all get along? Why can't we just all get along and water down the doctrine? And so... Even though he died in 336, the whole government, basically, of the Roman Empire was more Arian than biblical. So between 335 and 360, eight smaller councils were held in different regions. These are called synods. So a synod would just be in a region like Texas. Um, It was held to deal with the problem. And another issue came along called Apollinarianism. And... Apollinarius said, I've got it. Arius was wrong. Christ had no human nature at all. So now he's flip-flopped the other way, right? Arius dealt with Christ's deity, said he was not the same essence as God the Father. And Apollinarius said, no, no, Christ had no human nature. That was one of the heresies we looked at a few weeks ago. So, big council again, 381. There's a, a picture of it. They snapped the photo in 381. No, they didn't have pictures back then. Um, this is a painting much later, and it's representing what happened here. Um, the guy in the middle is not supposed to be Jesus or an apostle or anything. Um, I think that's probably the emperor. And then these other guys are the bishops. And, and the emperor's even got his soldiers guarding him there. I remember they had these halos on there originally just to show these are godly men. These are saints. It doesn't, uh, today people even worship these in the Greek Orthodox Church. They worship these paintings, these icons. We shouldn't do that. Here's the poor scribe on his table writing out everything. So the council was called again by the emperor. This time Theodosius I. And Theodosius I was the guy that... um, Ambrose made kneel and walk up the steps on his knees or crawl up the steps because he had massacred all these rebels. 
more than he should have. And uh, Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, if you want to say it that way. Uh, he's also the guy who officially made the Roman Empire Christian. So Constantine said, it's okay to be a Christian. Don't persecute them. Theodosius said that the Roman Empire is now officially Christian. Prior to the council, um, he had required all subjects to confess the Orthodox faith and threaten all heretics with punishment. So the problem between Constantine and Theodosius is that the emperor sometimes was Arian. He was Christian, but he was Arian. And that, then all the government leaders were also Arian. And the pastors and bishops and theologians that were close to the emperor were Arian. And this went on back and forth, biblical, Arian. And eventually, Theodosius comes along. He is of a more biblical persuasion. He believes that Christ was fully and truly God and fully and truly man. And he wants to threaten all the heretics with punishment. So he calls this council together. And it had 150 Orthodox bishops. These are ones who believed right, rightly. Orthodox with the lower case O just means biblical, right, true. And 36 heretical bishops. This council went on for three months. Three months. And... The positions here were, again, we have Arianism. Though by this time it had weakened, it was well represented with uh, bishops that were Arians. And they, by this time, were even called Eudokians because a later man named this. And the semi-Arians, the Pneumatomachi. That's the name in Greek. So that's one party. Another group is the Apollinarians. And so this was after Apollinaris, the bishop of Laodicea. He bitterly opposed Arius. He said, no, Christ is fully God, full deity. He nevertheless injected a new problem, teaching that Christ had deity but no humanity. No soul, no spirit. He had a body. He just was a shell of a man with the divinity inserted in. He had no true human spirit, mind, will, all of that. Therefore, Christ lacked a human nature, having instead the divine logos and having only the flesh of a human body. So he wasn't fully human. He was half human. And then uh, the third position, the biblical position, the orthodox position, supported what the Council of Nicaea had already figured out, which is Christ is fully God and fully man. This was the dominant position. More people were there that believed this. Of course, it's, it's biblical it was strongly supported by the Cappadocian fathers. We've looked at these guys, right? Basil, the great, Gregory, Nazianzus, and Gregory of Nyssa. These guys came and they did a great job of teaching the truth to the council. They devastated the Arian position. So what happened as a result of this second council? Well, it affirmed once again the Nicene position of the full deity of Christ. And this was the final victory. After this, Arianism is going to fade away. It's been around long enough. There's been two councils on this issue. No further emperors are going to promote it. It's time to stick with what the Bible teaches. Now, there will be some barbarians who come in. And they take over Rome. And guess what? They're Arian. So you take false teaching and develop it in your place. And then you let it get out into the world. It goes everywhere. That happens today, by the way. 
If you go to these other countries and talk to missionaries, they say, we do not like what America is exporting. Too much prosperity gospel. Too much Joe Olstein going all over the world. We want more true biblical preachers and teachers, and not this get-rich-quick kind of theology that's coming around. They also condemned Apollinarianism, which safeguarded the humanity of Christ. This condemnation followed the earlier condemnation of the Alexandrian Council, a smaller council, in 362. The significance of this council was that the problem of the two natures received its first real hearing. Before it was just the deity of Christ, now they're dealing with both the deity and the humanity. So we take this for granted today. You hear, truly God, truly man. Fully God, fully man. And we just think, oh, of course. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, these early Christians didn't have that language. And so they're arguing and debating this issue. And if they're truly saved, then they'll come to agree with the Scripture. Uh, the issue of these two natures was still confused somewhat, and a place is incorrect. So there needed to be further clarification. So this is where it gets fun. The names start compounding. This council adopted a new creed called the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. Don't say that too fast. It improved, especially the Nicene Creed with regards to the Holy Spirit. So they go after Christ. That doesn't work. Now they're going to go after the Holy Spirit. And the council said, let's put the Holy Spirit into the Nicene Creed. And let's say something about the Bible. This creed gradually replaced the earlier creed in the churches. Like the earlier Nicene Creed, it did not contain the filioque clause. We'll come to that later. It did not say this little clause, and the Son. Talking about how the Holy Spirit is sent. Before, the, the, up until this point really, the creed said that the Spirit is sent by the Father did not contain and the Son. Remember that for about three weeks from now. If you have suggested that this creed actually comes out of Chalcedon in 451, a later council, but there's strong evidence that it was there in 381. They also affirmed that the order of patriarchs was Rome, Constantinople, then Alexandria. So let's stop here a second. Today, everybody thinks, well, the Roman Catholic Church, Rome's the dominant city, Rome has always had control over the Roman Catholic churches. Well, first of all, remember, there is no Roman Catholic church at this time. The early church were just churches. And over time, the smaller country churches would look to the city close to them to have some help. They would say, look, uh, pastor in the big city, we've got this heresy running around in our neighborhood. Can you help us? Can you... Write a paper for us. Can you send a letter to us? Can you help us with this issue? Or we've got these churches that are fighting over doctrine. Uh, church in Rome, can you, you're the closest big church. You go way back in history. Can you please make an official doctrinal decision on which one's right? And so this would happen as, as churches grew, as the empire developed into a more Christian way of thinking. People would come to the major cities. Well, the problem is, if the big cities disagree on something, who has the primary authority? Now, none of this is in Scripture, because Scripture doesn't have this idea of denominations and, and all of this stuff. But they're trying to be practical here. And so by this point, by 381, they say, look, Rome goes back the, the longest. We'll look to them first. But Constantinople is still important. 
That's the capital in the east. That's where the emperor lives. And then Alexandria is important as well. And they even threw in Jerusalem. Not that there was a lot of theologians and scholars around Jerusalem at this time. But just for sort of um, nostalgic purposes. And sometimes Antioch is listed. The point is Rome is not the only place you go to get your decisions, uh, get your doctrinal issues heard. There are many places where you can go to find, you might say, seminaries, theologians, people to help. So there's no papal idea. There's no pope in Rome who rules over all the church and the whole Roman Empire. That's not going to happen until the Middle Ages. There's no Roman Catholic Church. There is a Catholic Church, little c, because what does Catholic mean? Universal. It just means universal. So people would use that term saying, you know, somebody would say, oh, I'm part of the Aryan church. And you would say, no, I'm part of the Catholic church, the universal church, the one that's been around since the apostles. I believe in the truth. It's not until the Middle Ages where it becomes the Roman Catholic church that we know today. The council also added uh, a couple of other heretical movements, the Novatians and the Montanists. We've looked at these guys before. Uh, The Novatians said, oh, we've got a new church group, we're going to split off and believe our own beliefs. And the Montanists were the, the crazies that went around saying they spoke for God, they wore no clothes. Um, they, were, they were condemned. All right, you had enough councils yet? By the way, all the Protestants, this church agrees with the findings of the first two councils. And I'll tell you, were, we, were Protestants, were the reform movement does not agree with the councils at some point. But at this point, we agree not, not on little stuff like the dates of Easter. That, that doesn't matter as much. The main doctrinal issues. Thirdly, the Council of Ephesus. This is the biblical city of Ephesus. is still around in 431. And here's the issue. The church in Alexandria started using this title for Mary. People weren't using a title for Mary before. Now suddenly they say Mary is Theotokos or Theotokos. Theotokos. And they wanted to say, look, Jesus is fully God. They're trying to defend his deity. And so they say he's fully God inside of Mary's womb when he was in there. And so Mary is the bearer of God. Mary bore God in her womb. Well, the church in Antioch the Antiochians, said no. That's emphasizing his deity too much. That's not thinking about his humanity enough. So now you've got these two churches at odds. And they said, look, it has potential to create a wrong impression about Mary. If she is the bearer of God, then that puts too much emphasis on Mary. What are you saying about Mary? If she had God contained in her womb. How does that work theologically? So this is council there in Ephesus, probably by the same painter that we saw previously. So here's the positions at the council. Theotokos, Mary bore God. That's a Greek word saying Mary bore God inside of her womb. When Christ was born, took on human flesh, he was the God-man. The idea of the incarnation in which Christ had both human and divine natures. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's biblical. But the position was accused of mixing and confusing the two natures. 
It's putting too much emphasis, they said, on the divine and not the human part of Christ, the human nature of Christ. In addition, it created, and here this is important for today, the danger of venerating Mary to an unbiblical status, as evidenced in later Roman Catholics. So for, supported first by a man named Proclus of Constantinople, later Cyril of Alexandria, fighting was bitter and wicked. They were very upset. Today, Mary is a huge idol in the Catholic Church. There are statues in South America and Central America. They parade down the street of Mary, and they're all worshiping. And you've got to look up some of the videos where the statue crashes and falls, and people, they literally freak out because Mary just fell and her head rolls off over there. And they're just like, whoa! Well, this starts back in the uh, 400s. Now, today Roman Catholics will say, well, this, this goes all the way back to biblical times. No, it doesn't. There's only one area that's teaching this at the time, and it's such a bitter issue that they hold a council to help make a more official ruling on it. Another view is anthropotokos, that Mary bore the man Jesus, and the focus there is on his humanity. The idea that Mary gave birth to a man whom the Logos began to dwell in after his baptism. This is the idea that Jesus was not divine until after his baptism. So the, here the position is overly stressing the humanity of Christ. A man named Theodore of Mopsustia, Theodore of Mopsustia, who was part of the Antiochian group, the group in Antioch. This is not right. We know that Christ was fully divine all along. He still is. This is not a good position. And then number three, this group said, well, we'll settle it. Instead of theotokos, which means God-bearer, instead of anthropotokos, which means man-bearer, we'll just say Christotokos, which means Christ-bearer. Very similar to the, the man-anthro position. But Nestorius was its main proponent. Now, what do we know about Nestorius? He had some issues with his doctrine on the deity of Christ. He's condemned as a heretic later. So he's the main proponent, and he says, look, this will make both sides happy. Let's just say Christ. Christ focused, The word Christ takes in the idea that he's fully man and fully God. So this ought to make everybody happy. So it's the idea that Mary gave birth to Christ, who was both God and man. He argued that the eternal God could not be born, and thus God assumed the human nature. There was thus a duality of natures which were conjoined together, but not mixed or confused. Critics claim that Nestorius overemphasized the separation between the two natures of Christ, thus implying that Christ was two separate persons. This is deep stuff. Anytime you get into the deity of Christ, it gets difficult. This is difficult for me as I read and study the, the, the two natures, because how does that work? How is there one person, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man? I don't know. I don't have any experience as that. I'm not fully God, fully man. That's only Christ. And it seems silly when we sit here and think about it because we know what the Bible says today. But you put yourself back in the 400s, the 300s, the 200s. There's not a clear... You can't go to the bookstore and get John MacArthur's biblical doctrine. You can't pick up Burkhoff's systematic theology. You can't pick up the four-volume set on Bavink and start reading about these issues. You've got to take the verses of your Bible, which, by the way, not everybody even has a full Bible at this time. They're too expensive. 
And you've got to make a decision on this. And this was why they came together to discuss it. It was a huge issue. People were being cast out of the church over many of these issues. So it was called by the emperor Theodosius II. Nestorius was opposed. And uh, there was some rivalry going on there between churches. The council was open with only 60 bishops of Cyril there. And Nestorius was banished, anathematized, deposed, excommunicated, exiled. And remember, Nestorius had some bad teaching on the deity of Christ that he was spreading around. He was sent to Antioch, and the Syrian bishops uh, could then arrive. They were late to the the council. Uh, When the Syrian bishops arrived, a meeting was called where Cyril was then excommunicated. There was some latter reconciliation between the Syrian bishop John of Antioch and Cyril. So it's sort of like, Whoever shows up, shows up first, we're going to vote against the other guy. And you're going to start seeing some of these things happen in councils. Here's finally what the council decided. They affirm Theodicos, that's the God-bearer, because it is overall the best position if we're choosing from the three. But little was actually accomplished as Nestorius went back to a large independent following. So he says, fine, I'll go back to Antioch. I'll form up a whole group of people that called themselves Nestorians, and they went east, and today there's still the Assyrian from Syria, the Assyrian Orthodox Catholic Church, I think it's called, or maybe Orthodox Church, and they are Nestorians and their belief on Christ. Uh, the council was only negative, it condemned Nestorius, and it didn't come up with anything positive, no new statements or creeds, and uh, a later Historian Philip Schaff will say that Nestorius was an honest man and he probably was not far from the truth. So he said some things that were true, but he had some false teaching behind that. So we have to be careful of how much we support Nestorius. So not much happened good from that other than Nestorius has to go away. Uh, I think it starts here. It starts here. Yeah, the, the question was, is this the root of the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception? Uh, which is the idea that Mary herself had no sin and she was conceived. We know Christ, it says in the Bible, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, never had sin. But then the reasoning is, well, if she bore the God-man, if she bore God in her womb, and she has sin, how does that work? And so later, Roman Catholics in the Middle Ages will say, she herself must be sinless. And to be sinless means you have to be conceived without a sin nature. So they said, she was conceived without a sin nature. All kinds of issues start at this point forward about Mary. Uh, Perpetual virginity, things like that. It's a good question. Okay, now to a big one. This is probably one of the most important ones. Nicaea was important, but this... This is a big one. The Council of Chalcedon. All of these basically are in and around Asia Minor, Constantinople, uh, Chalcedon, Nicaea, Ephesus. Here's the issue at this council. In 451 now, a result of the lack of accomplishment at Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus had nothing positive that came from it. It was just negative. Negative means not that they all left depressed and in a bad mood. It means that all they did was denounce a guy. Now, they didn't come up with anything that was helpful for the church. So they needed something more clear on this issue. And the 
Nestorians were going further off into one error-ridden position. And those in Alexandria under Cyril were going off into strange error as well. The followers. So before the council, this is interesting. You'll have to look this up because we don't have time to go into it. But before this council met, things were so heated that they tried to meet again in Ephesus before Chalcedon. And the position of Cyril was put forth with such fanaticism that Theodore was badly mistreated. That's one of the guys who held uh, a position against Cyril. And the middle position of Leo was not represented. So we don't have a lot of time to go into it, but I'll summarize it. They said, let's hold a council again in Ephesus. Let's fix this problem that didn't get settled previously in Ephesus. Well, the problem is only Cyril's group was there. And then a representative called Theodoret. They mistreated him. They beat him up. And the position of Leo, Leo was the bishop of Rome at this time, and he had written the first book of theology called the Tome. And his position will eventually win out. But he wasn't even able to represent his position. The people that he sent weren't heard. And they beat up, the serial followers beat up the other guys so bad. It's been called the Council of Robbers or the Robber Synod. They actually were hitting and beating up and it came to a big fist fight. And so that's not even recognized as a significant council today. Look up the Robber Synod uh, when you have spare time and just want to study some church history. And I think you'll enjoy that. So back to Leo. Leo's the Bishop of Rome. He's not the Emperor. He's not uh, the Pope. Although many will say he's the first official Roman Catholic-like Pope. Uh, we'll just stick with Leo right now. Leo I. He called for a general council to settle the issue. Five to six hundred bishops attended Chalcedon. This, now we're talking about Chalcedon. His position didn't get heard in that robber synod. He's going to go to Chalcedon and send his agents there to represent what he thinks is the true biblical teaching. Uh, they attended, this is rather short because often these councils last a long time. Uh, they attended just from October 8th to November 1st. Leo I sat in Rome. Um, this is the time that he was bishop in Rome, about 21 years. Just giving you a little history about him. He, it says that he had ability, boldness, and strength not seen before in Rome. He wrote a book called Leo's Tome. A tome meant a big old book, a big fat book. And it presented in that book this middle position. And this is important. This is what we say today, that Christ had two natures without confusion. They didn't mix together. Without severance, you can't split Jesus apart after those two natures. After he came into this world, he's, the two natures are together. You can't split his divinity from his humanity without division. So that is going to make its way into a creed, and it's going to clear up the issue. Now, here's where it gets fun, because some of these terms we're not used to using, they come from Greek. The positions at the council... The monophysite party. They viewed Christ and the incarnation as only having one nature. The nature of God. That then later became flesh and man. Hence, God is born. God suffered. God was crucified. God died. This is closer to like uh, T.D. Jakes today. The deification of the human in Christ, confounding the two natures. Cyril dies in 444. And thus, the position was represented by his archdeacon, Dioscorus. And uh, he wasn't very strong in his arguments. 
He's also associated with Eutyches. So this position becomes known as Eutychianism. Basically, that it was the full deity that suffered and died on the cross. Can deity suffer? Can God suffer? Can God die? No, that doesn't sound biblical. Then the Nestorian party has their view. They say Christ has a double personality of human and divine. This view stressed the unfused union of two natures in one person, producing a dual personality. He's kind of schizophrenic, in other other words. Uh, This is a moderation of the older Nestorian position and stressed the separation of the two natures. So this is Theodoret. This is the guy that got beat up uh, so bad at the robber robber synod. And then the last position, the middle position, this is Leo. Um, He says, look, we've got to recognize both the true humanity and the true deity. So let's stop trying to split this. And let's stop trying to say the deity is all there, but not the humanity. So he says, two distinct natures. One personality. One person. He's not two people living inside of Christ. He's one person, Jesus Christ. But he has two natures. Christ, perfect in both. Now, the theological term we use today that came from this is called the hypostatic union. It's called the hypostatic union. It just means the union of Jesus, divine and human natures in one person. Two natures, one person. That's what you need to know because when you talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or the uh, Oneness Pentecostals or any other heretical beliefs on the nature of Christ, two natures, one person. Not two natures, two persons. Not one nature, two persons. Two natures, one person. Leo also said he's born of the Virgin Mary. Two natures without confusion, change, division, or separation. So the bishops accepted that middle position. That's what the Bible clearly says. If you take all the verses in Scripture that talk about it, and they even pointed back and said, this is the faith of the fathers. This goes all the way back to the apostolic fathers people who came right after the apostles. This is the orthodox, the true position. The emperor was there. He said, I agree. And now he's going to enforce that decision as law. We can debate some other time whether that's good or bad. But he agreed. All the Eutychian bishops were banished and their books were burned. Although their view was not stopped, Chalcedonian Christology became the orthodox doctrine of Christendom. Later councils gave precision to what was laid down. So this sort of settles the deity of Christ. Anything that comes up after this is clearly going to be rejected as heresy. They don't have to return to this. This was a big one. The Council of Chalcedon. While Chalcedon did not have complete acceptance, it did form the bedrock of future thought. For this reason, it's often appealed to as a foundational and decisive council. Two natures, one person. Bishops listed in order of importance. Once again, they had to decide, okay, let's talk about this whole idea of these cities. Rome, Constantinople, which is the new Rome, and Alexandria. Same order as before. It tells you, though, that Rome's not the only one in the picture. The only reason, we're going to see this next week. Make sure you're here next week, because it's the fall of the Roman Empire and the rise of Islam. The only reason that Rome's left as the major city of theological importance is because the Muslims take over Alexandria and they eventually conquer Constantinople. That leaves, of all these early cities that were well-developed with old churches that were big, 
Rome. That's the main reason. Antioch's gone. The Muslims take Alexandria and Antioch quickly. Constantinople takes them a long time, but they basically uh, surround it. And, and by that point, the church splits anyway, east and west. But we'll get there. Okay, let's see if we can get one more in. Y'all are having so much fun this morning with these councils. It does sound like a lot of information, but realize they're struggling with important doctrines here. And we can't skip this. I'm trying to go quickly as I can through it. Here's the issue. After Chalcedon, some continue to debate the integrity of Christ's human nature. Now, the issue now is not so much what he's made up of or who is he. The issue is his will, his mind. What, what is that all about? So the Monophysites persisted with their idea of one nature. So they keep, they keep saying he's not two natures, he's one. Eutyches. The Orthodox, the, the biblical Chalcedonian position continued and said, no, this is what's biblical. The Monophysites broke out in bloody fighting, mostly in the Eastern Oriental Church. So they're, they're actually you know, showing up and like somebody showed up at our church service and started beating us up because we didn't agree with their doctrine. Uh, people fighting in the streets. The whole, you know, the cities are divided. Um, there's various factions of these monophysites, the Severians, the Fantas- Fantasius. That sounds bad, right? The Julianus. So they hold this council. Let's, let's figure this out. The monophysites came again. They said that Christ is one nature, clad in human flesh. Well, you know that's not going to turn out to be true. And their liturgical shibboleth, Shibboleth, remember in the Old Testament, if you wanted to cross the Jordan River, you had to say Shibboleth and pronounce it the right way. Well, here's how you knew if you were a monophysite. You would say, God has been crucified. Now, that's not right. The God-man, Jesus Christ, was crucified. But not God, not the whole deity, not the, the, the God himself cannot die. The diophysites said, no, The council of Chalcedon has already decided this. It's one person, two natures. And later, people, later followers would would go along with this. Um, Leontius of Byzantium was there. He he taught this. That Christ's humanity was impersonal and and who also brought into the Chalcedonian tradition the monophysite emphasis on the unity of Christ. He stressed uh, an interesting Greek word, in Hypostasia, the humanity of Christ was made personal by its union with a deity. Just a little extra dessert there for your Thanksgiving meal. In Hypostasia made Christ's humanity impersonal. That is less than whole. So there's some mixing here that's not good. Um, we're over time, but we'll come back to this next week. The Emperor Justinian was there. He's an admirer of Chalcedon. But his wife, very interesting history there, his wife turns him away from that and says, no, no, these people aren't right. The monophysites are right. So I'll save that story for next week. Uh, if you want to learn some fun history, read up on Justinian and Theodora. She pretty much ruled the roost there and told him what to believe. All right, that's church history for today. Let me conclude, and then we'll have worship here in about uh, half an hour. Lord, thank you so much for church history, that it was recorded We know a lot of these details uh, don't interest everyone, but it is important. It's important for Christians to know this, at least the high points, so that we see what the faithful men have gone through, how our doctrine today was thought through carefully, 
And they kept looking back to Scripture. Let us do that today in our thinking and our doctrine. Help us, Lord, not to just come up with whatever pops in our head. But look to Scripture. And think about it. And meditate on it. And pray about it. And look at other faithful men who've come before us. And see how it's been developed. So that we can clearly think about it today. We ask that you would help us in this. In the name of Jesus, amen.